Well, I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles, open it up to the book of John, if you would, the book of John. And I have some handouts for you. So if I could get a couple guys maybe to help me here. The outline that I'm handing out to you, I want you not to look at the front page, though. I just want you to look at this, put it face down. Don't look at the outline yet, okay? So face down if you would. We're going to start a study through the book of John and uh, on Sunday nights. And it's going to be sort of a different study. Usually when you go through the book of John, um, you go verse by verse. Uh, you look at it through the miracles of Christ. Or you might look at it through the signs of Christ. But we're going to look at it totally different. And I, and I think really it will help us to even understand a lot of the book. When you look at the book of John, it's interesting. There are um, 879 verses in the total book of John. Out of those 879 verses, about 650 to 665 of them refer to the Feast of Israel. So we're going to study the book of John through the eyes of a Jewish person or through the Feast of Israel. Now, it's a different way to look at it, but it's, it's an interesting way to look at it. And I've given you tonight, um, on the first thing, take that one that shows you the Feast of Israel. Go ahead and take that. And we're going to look at those real quick. And in fact, I need one of those. I didn't keep one myself. Yeah, there's two. There's one that has the Feast of Israel, and then the other one has is the outline. You should have two sheets. You're not supposed to be looking at the on the front page of the outline, right? Because we're going to come back to that in just a moment. And on this one here, on this one here, I want you to look at it, and we start. <clears throat> In the springtime, with the first feast, with the first feast, which is called Passover, and we're going to see as we go through the book of John that there are three Passovers in the book of John, and we're going to learn a little more about each of these feasts as we go through, and you're going to see how they jump right out, and how every major event in the book of John ties itself to one of these feasts. So the first thing is Passover. And, and we know that Christ, some, somebody tell me a time when you know that Christ was at Passover. At the Last Supper, very good, Mrs. Bird, one of our teachers. Okay, So, at the Passover. Now, we're going to see that as we go through the book of John, that he is in three different Passovers. So, which one of those, which one of the three is the, the, the upper room? The third one, right. Well, there were two other Passovers that Christ was at, and we're going to see those as we go through the book of John. And you'll see it even tonight. So, the night after Passover would have been unleavened bread, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. That would have started the night after Passover. That would have represented seven days of walking with the Lord because it was seven days that the Jewish person was not allowed to eat bread it had leaven in it. Now, what does leaven represent in the Bible? Martin said it there. It represents sin. And so what it was, was in the eyes of the Israelite, it was seven days of, in a sense, picturing of walking without sin. And in a sense, for us, it pictures how we're supposed to walk. The Bible says, be perfect as I am perfect. Be holy as I am holy. 
We looked at that this morning in, in Matthew chapter 5, where the very last verse of Matthew chapter 5 says that if we're going to be like our Heavenly Father, we should be perfect or mature in the Lord. So, that's what the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And then the first fruits, right at the end of Unleavened Bread, they celebrated first fruits, and that's when you would bring the best of your crop, the first of your crop to the Lord. And then you go around, and uh, then we have Pentecost, which is 50 days later, and we'll talk more about that. And then we go down here, when we get into the October, we get into Rosh Hashanah, it's called. And, uh, and in Rosh Hashanah, there were seven or several different feasts that were celebrated. We had the Feast of Trumpets. We'll be talking about that. And also the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur was in that. We'll be talking about the Feast of Tabernacles. You'll see... That's right there at the end of September also. And uh, can anybody tell me about the, anything about the Feast of Tabernacles? Anybody know anything about the Feast of Tabernacles? Right. Right. They would build huts. And if you were a Jewish person, you would go out in your front yard or in your backyard and you would build a hut or a dwelling place. That's what tabernacle means, a dwelling place. And uh, you would worship God in that tabernacle and do other things. We're going to see how that fits in. Also, in that feast, there's uh, a lot of lights that go on. And uh, we're going to learn about that as we go. We're going to, because that's when Jesus talked about, at the end of his, um, at the end of that, when he talks about being the light of the world. And then the last one is Hanukkah. And uh, we're going to learn about that feast also as we go through the book of John. These feasts are going to stick out. And so it's really over a three year period that we're going to see this. Now, here's what we're going to do. As we go through this, I want to make it interactive so I'm not talking the whole time. So this side here, you're going to read verses 1 through 25 in just a moment. This side here, you're going to read verses 26 through 51. And you're each looking for four different representations of Christ. There's four in the first 25 verses. And there's four in the second 26 verses. So there's eight. There's eight characteristics or eight representations of Christ. Now, if you didn't turn your paper over, you don't know what they are yet. <laughs> okay? And so what I want you guys is go ahead and just start reading. If you come across one of them, yell it out. Yell it out if you think you find one. And this side over here, go ahead and start reading. And if you come across the character of Christ, something who He is, or an essential character of Christ, you go ahead and yell it out. So John chapter 1, John chapter 1. The Word. You guys got the first one over here. The Lamb. Okay, we've got the Word and the Lamb. Okay, the Son of God. The Light. Very good. Okay, He was a rabbi. Messiah, yes. Okay, the Lamb of God, very good. Okay, the Son, He was the Son, yes. What's that? Glory. Okay, He, he was full of glory, the Bible says. Okay, the King, yes, the King. He became flesh and dwelt among us, the Bible says. Actually, not one of the words, and that's fine, but he, he did become flesh and dwell among us. 
Okay, go ahead and turn your paper over. And the ones that I found there, the ones that really manifest who He is, you'll see them. 1-1, one, one, the Word. 1-4, the Life. 1-7, the Light. 118, the Son, 129, the Lamb, 141, the Messiah, 149, the King, and 151, the Son of Man. As you go through John chapter 1, that really sort of gives us a picture of who Christ is, gives a picture of his characteristics of him in this chapter. But there's some other things I want us to look at as we begin to do this study of John here in John chapter 1, just in our introduction tonight. And uh, his relationship to first, eternity past. Look if you want in John 1, 1 and 1, 2. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And the first essential character of Christ, of course, is the Word. And this is talking about his relationship to eternity past. And uh, several things I want to point out to you just from these two verses. Who, who is the Word? Okay, Christ. Christ is the Word. Jesus Christ is the Word. The first thing about the Word was before creation. In the beginning was the Word. In other words, Jesus Christ, even before God created the heavens and the earth, Jesus was what? He was with God. In fact, as we study God's Word, and I mentioned it this morning, the only time that God the Father and God the Son, okay, the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, the only time in a sense there was separation from them was when? On the cross, when Christ was crucified. When Christ took on the sin of the world. At that moment, they were, sin separated them. Okay? But other than that, even before creation, in the beginning, not the beginning of this earth, but before before the beginning of this earth, even before God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit dwelled together. So the first thing about the Word, He was before creation. And the next thing, He was beside the Father. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. That word with God means beside God. He, he was not only God, but He dwelt beside God. So, so we see the picture of the Father here and the Son together fellowshipping and the Holy Spirit fellowshipping together. That, that's what it means He was with God. They were fellowshipping together. Not only that, He belonged to the Godhead. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. So, first, the Word was before creation. The Word was beside the Father and the Word belonged to the Godhead. Jesus belonged to the Godhead. And then one other thing you'll see here, the same was in the beginning with God. And go down to verse 14. I want to point this. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The third thing about the Word here in this is that He became a man. Jesus became a man. So, four things there we realize in this relationship to eternity past. The Word was before creation. The Word was beside the Father. The Word, belong, the word or Jesus, belonged to the Godhead. And then He became flesh. And then the relationship to the creation. It says in verse 3, 
All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The next thing I want you to see here is a couple of things about his relationship to creation. First of all, it says, all things were made by him. He has the right of ownership. Jesus was at creation. He was there when it says God spoke the world into existence. Jesus was there with him. He was part of that creation act. And so what, what I want you to see here is simply this, is that Jesus has the right of ownership. In practicality, what does that mean to us? We belong to Him. Exactly, you. What else does it mean? If He has the right to ownership, He created us. What else does that mean? Right. Everything that we own does not belong to us. And so when somebody wants to come and borrow something from you, whose thing are they borrowing? God's. doesn't belong to me anyway, does it? It belongs to who? It belongs to God. Everything we own belongs to God. When you get that paycheck, and, and whatever that paycheck, let's say you get $100, only 10% of that paycheck belongs to God, right? I thought the Bible said we're supposed to give 10% to God. How much of it is His? All. 100% of it belongs to God. We, we, we might think that all oh, 10% of it belongs to God and 90% is mine. No, 100% of it belongs to God. He's the owner of it all. I, just out of that 100%, I am told to give 10% of it, what, in a sense, back to Him. And, and when you start thinking about it that way, it really makes you a little bit more responsible how you spend whose money? God's money. He owns it all. So, so he has the right of ownership. Not only that, he also has the right to reign. He has the right to reign over it. Um, he's the king. He's the owner. He has the right to reign over us. That means he has the right to tell us what to do. He has the right to allow us to go through things in our life. Why? Because he's reigning over us. And he has the right to pronounce judgment on those who refuse his lordship. He has that right because he's the owner. And the last thing is that he became man and provided the solution to our estrangement from him. The whole reason that God became man was so that he could provide a way for us to have a relationship again with him because we at, salva at, at birth, we are what? We're estranged from God. The Bible says we're enemies with God. So he had to come. He had to take on flesh and come and die so that we could be reconciled to him. So his relationship to creation. And then verses 11, 6, verses, um, excuse me, 11 through 16 um, is his relationship to the law. It says, He came unto His own, and His own received Him not. But as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name, which we were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. 
John bare witness of him and cried, saying, This was he of whom I spake, that he cometh after me, is preferred before me, for he was before me. Now, in, in his relationship to the law, first of all, jump down there and look at those two little words, grace and truth. I read those, now I've got to go back and find them. In verse 14, he is full of grace and truth. Did Christ come to, ab to abolish the law? No, what did he do? He came to fulfill it. He took on flesh to come and fulfill the law. But he is full of what? He's not full of the law. He is full of what? Grace and truth. And we don't want to miss that because Christ didn't come to pronounce the law. He came to fulfill the law, but he is full of what? Grace and truth. We live in the age of grace. That doesn't give us the right to sin. Okay, it's not a license to sin. He fulfilled all of the law in becoming flesh. The law became now our schoolmaster that brings us to Jesus Christ. The law, we think of the Ten Commandments. Why, why did God give us the Ten Commandments? To show me that I am a sinner. That's why He gave us the Ten Commandments. To show me that I'm a sinner and to show me that I have a need for what? For salvation. For grace. That's the purpose of the law. He came and fulfilled the law. And then we, we know his relationship to John the Baptist. Well, somebody tell me, what was the purpose of John the Baptist? What did John the Baptist do? We know that he was a good man because he was Baptist. Right, he, amen, he pronounced the coming of the Lord. That's right. He was the forerunner of Christ. Did he preach about himself? No, he was there to preach about Christ who was coming. And that was the job that he did. He was the forerunner for Christ. And so, um, what else? something else about John the Baptist? What can you tell me? He fulfilled Scripture, that's right. He fulfilled the Old Testament, talked about him. So he fulfilled Scripture. Anything else about John the Baptist? Right, he thought he was unworthy okay, to tie Jesus' shoes. Why was he called John the Baptist? Because he baptized. He was a baptizer. That's right. And a picture of him baptizing. Who, who did he baptize? Jesus. That's right. He baptized Jesus. Why? Let me ask this. Why did Jesus need to be baptized? As an example for us. That's right. As an example for us. Baptism pictures, for him, it pictured what? what he was going to go through, his what? His death, his burial, and his resurrection. In a sense, when Christ was baptized, it was almost like a prophecy of what was going to come for him. And so John the Baptist had, had the, was the one who did that. Some, how did John the Baptist die? He was beheaded, right. He was beheaded. But he was the forerunner of Jesus Christ. And then his relationship to his disciples in chapter 2, verse 11. And uh, it says, The beginning of miracles did Jesus in Canaan of Galilee and manifested forth his glory, and his disciples believed on him. And here we have again the introduction as we get into this, the introduction of his disciples, of his picking his disciples. And uh, those men would work with him for about the next 18 months. The, 
the whole ministry of Christ lasted a little over 18 months. Um, and we're going to go through that. So those are sort of a, just an introduction, and that brings us to where we come to the first Passover that Jesus attended in John chapter 2. And in John chapter 2, verse 13, and this is all introduction, we're going to come back and look at this uh, really in detail. In John chapter 13, or John chapter 2, verse 13, it says, And the Jews' Passover was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, often the Jewish people would make their pilgrimage to Jerusalem for Passover, and Christ would have been part of that crowd uh, that went there. Now, how old was Jesus at this time? Yeah, about 30, okay? He's about 30 years old at this first Passover that he attends. And this would be called the Passover with the people. We're not going to take the time tonight to look at it, but as we go through and we study this first Passover with the people, we're going to find out what Jesus did at this first Passover. He did several things. This is where He drove the money changers and sellers from the temple area. We're going to see that. Uh, we're going to see that there was a night visitor that came to Him during this Passover. Anybody know who that was? Nicodemus. We're going to meet Nicodemus. He... That happened during the first Passover when he was with the people. Um, this is where he declared for the first time the necessity of the new birth. We're going to see how that ties in to Passover. Um, so that's the very first thing. The next thing is Rosh Hashanah uh, that we would look at, and that starts in chapter 5. So if you're looking at your Jewish calendar, you can see that the first thing that Christ was done was Passover, and the next time we really have Christ is all the way not until September. So we don't know everything that Christ did as we go through the study, and we don't know everything we did. Um, but we're going to see really those months from um, April all the way through September. We don't know a whole lot. And then we pick up again at that second feast, which is Rosh Hashanah, and which is the Feast of Trumpets. It's also the Feast of New Year's for the Jewish people. Um, it was a very festive season. It lasts for 22 days. We're going to find out more about that. It started with the blowing of trumpets. That's why um, we have the trumpets there at Rosh Hashanah. And we're going to learn all about the importance of trumpets, and Christ talks about that, and what those trumpets represent, and what they represented to, uh, to um, God's chosen people. And then we go all the way, if we're going through this, we go all the way now to the second Passover. So now we go from September until we really see anything more about Christ up to Nisan, which is the month of March and the beginning of April. This is the second Passover. The first Passover was with the people. The second Passover is to the people. Um, and Jesus preaches a tremendous Passover address. This is where he has the feeding of the 5,000. Is it the second Passover? Um, when he feeds the 5,000, what does he feed them? Bread and fish. Bread is always important. And we'll see how important it is as we go through this study in the Feast of Israel. We'll see the importance of bread and unleavened bread. And uh, this is when he, he has this address after the feeding of the 5,000 there at Bethesda. 
and uh, as he teaches the, the pilgrims about this. Um, and we're going to really tur- we're going to see about the burnt offering. We're going to see about the walk of water. We're going to see um, all about that sermon that he says he is the bread of life. That's where this is where Christ claims to be, or he is. He talks about being the bread of life, and, and we're going to see why that's important. Because again, that ties in to the feast. The Jewish people would have been thinking about bread, and he talks about being the bread of life. It's just like today, when we preach, if Pastor John preaches, or I preach, or even Pastor Chan preached, we try to use illustrations that are practical to what? To today, to life. So this morning I showed you an illustration from what? From life, from the newspaper. Well, Jesus did the same thing when He preached. He tied things in to what people knew about, and what people were, how they could relate. And that's why it's so important as we study the book of John that we're going to see he's relating things to what people are going through. And these, as they're going through these different feasts, he's relating his messages right to their present day life. That's what preaching should really do. It should talk about Christ, but it should bring us to a relation of what we're going through right now. And, and that's what Christ was a master of. Christ was the master teacher. He was the master preacher. And as we go through this, it's going to be so interesting for you to see how, wow, He was taking what people were living. He was taking what people were going through in these feasts, and He's preaching messages all about the feast of Israel. So when He talks about Him being the bread of life, man, that was relevant to them because they're, you know, remember Passover again, the day after Passover, they're getting ready to go for seven days of unleavened bread. They've been thinking about bread. They've been baking bread without leaven. And bread is on their mind. So he's going to preach about what? Bread. It's going to, it, you're going to see it. It's going to fall into place for us. You're going to, he's going to do, do a whole message about being the bread of life. And so this is to the people. This is... This whole Passover is his message, and uh, he's going to talk about his body being broken and how he's going to give his flesh. And and he ties that in because at the very next Passover, he's going to break the bread with his disciples, and he's going to say that this, what? This bread represents what? My body, which is broken for you. So again, he's using something that they can relate to to illustrate to them this practical living out. Also, there's something else that happens um, as, as we go to the next. Let's go to the next feast, which is um, the next one, the second Passover. The next is the Feast of Tabernacles. So now we're in that second year, and that second time we go all the way down to the months of September and October. Days of Atonement and the Feast of Tabernacle. And the Feast of Tabernacles, it was a time of rejoicing. It was a time of when you worshiped, as Bruce said, with tabernacles. But it was also very interesting because this was the time that they lit these huge candles in Jerusalem. And if you would have been traveling to Jerusalem, and as you would have come over the hill and you would have crested and you would have seen the city at the Feast of Tabernacles, there was these huge candles that were lit and the whole city was lit up. 
Have any of you seen, and we showed, showed it at the end of the movie today, we've seen the towers, the lights of the towers, and how they tower up over New York City? It would have been the same thing in Jerusalem at the Feast of Tabernacles when they lit these huge candles. And so if you would have come up over the city and for this feast of celebration, and you would have looked, there would have been a glow over the city of Israel from these lights that were lit at the Feast of Tabernacles. And this is when he talks about that he is the light of the world. Because what's on everybody's mind? Light. This whole feast is about lights and celebration. And he's going to talk about he is the light of the world. Every Jewish person would have what? They would have been relating to light. So he takes that opportunity to preach about him being the light of the world in this particular feast. But unless you know that, unless you know that in the Feast of Tabernacle there's these lighting of candles, it almost just seems like, well, yeah, we understand he's the light of the world, but he's tying it in to the people of Israel. He's tying it in so his crowd gets the message. So he talks about him being the light of the world there in the Feast of Tabernacles and then turn it over and we go to the Feast of Dedication or of Hanukkah. And we're going to talk about Hanukkah and what that means. And this is where he gives the Good Shepherd address where I am the Good Shepherd. I am the door the sheep come in by. He's the... Um, he goes, he loves the sheep. We're going to learn all about that and the Feast of Dedication of Hanukkah and how that ties in there. And then we get to the, the next feast is the final sacrifice or the third Passover. It's the third Passover. So we're back up here to the top again. Passover, we're back to the... What time of year? We're back to the spring of the year. And in this spring of the year is when the third time, the third um, Passover... And this one is the Passover for the people. So the first one is the Passover with the people. The second one is the Passover to the people. The third one is the Passover, what? For the people. Because at this last Passover, Jesus Christ is going to become what? The Passover lamb. He's going to become the sacrifice for His people. That's why we say this is the Passover for the people. The Passover for the people is this last one. And all kinds of things uh, happen that, that we're going to be seeing in this final sacrifice. Um, we even have an illustration in this final sacrifice of, of what's going to happen. And, and we're going to be looking at that in John chapter 11, verses 1 through 57. It's the raising of Lazarus from the dead, which is again a picture of what? Of what's going to happen in the life of Christ. So he gives this illustration. Then there's the anticipation in chapter 12, verses 122. And we're going to be looking at this anticipation in this last. And really, three things happen in chapter 12, verses 1 through 22. First of all, you have the anointing of Christ by Mary. You have the anointing of Christ by Mary. And again, this is really important because we're going to be looking at this and, and that represents something. I don't want to give that away till we get there. But, but that represents something. There's an anticipation that that act of worship that she did in anointing Christ, there was an anticipation of that. The second one is the triumphal entry. There's an anticipation 
with the triumphal entry of Christ that we're going to be looking at when we get to this third Passover, this Passover celebration, this Feast of Israel. And then there is the Greeks coming to the uh, feast. The Greeks coming to the feast to worship. There was an anticipation. Three important, very important things that tie into the Passover. First of all, Mary anoints Christ. Secondly, there's the triumphal entry. And then thirdly, these Greeks show up. Now remember, this is a, this is a holiday for what nationality of people? Jewish people. But all of a sudden, these Greeks show up and participate in this Passover. That's really important, and we're going to see that as we get to that last Passover, why that is so important. Um, and then we have um, summaration in, in uh, chapter 12, verses 23 through 50. And it's interesting that all the feasts are reviewed and show how, they show how Christ fulfills them. And that portion of Scripture, all the feasts are shown, and it's shown how Christ is a fulfillment of each of the Jewish feasts. And we'll, he points that out as, he, as, he get, as we get there. We're going to look at that. And then the consummation is in chapter... Oh, the explanation. Sorry about that. The explanation in chapter 13, uh, starting with verse 1 and going through chapter 17, going ver through verse 26. Anybody know what that is what that portion of Scripture is all about? It's all about the upper room and the, and, and the dissertation in the upper room that Christ gave to His disciples. Um, and that sort of explains everything that's happened in the book as you go through that. And then the, the consummation, two words. I'm going to give you isolation and resurrection. Isolation and resurrection. That is a skeletal outline of what we're going to do over however long it takes us. Maybe the rapture will come this week and we won't even get to it. That'd be great, wouldn't it? But we're going to look at this book of John in a total different light. And I think by the time we get to into this, you're going to understand John like you've never understood it before. Because really the book of John relates to the Feast of Israel. 660 verses relate to the Feast of Israel. That's a lot of verses, isn't it? Three quarters of the verses in the book of John relate somehow to the Feast of Israel. So that's how we're going to study it. And by the time we get to the end of this, you're going to understand the Feast of Israel much better, and you're going to understand, I think, the book of John. The first time I, the first time I saw this, I got so excited, probably 15 years ago, um, Mr. McQuaid... Uh, Elwood McQuaid, who was with friend, who was with Friends of Israel, I went and I went to a three-day seminar that he preached, and he preached the Book of John like I had never heard it before. And I've always been interested in Jewish things. I I serve on a uh, what's called the um, Friends of Canada. It's a Jewish mission board. I have a friend who went out of Friends of Israel and started a Jewish mission board in Canada. And so I've always had this love for Jewish missions and Jewish people and Jewish studies. And so when I heard Elwood McQuaid explain the book of John, 
through the Feast of Israel, I thought, wow, man, I really understand the book of John now. And then eventually he wrote a book called The Outpouring, which is where a lot of the information that I'm going to get for this study uh, will come from that book called The Outpouring. And it's again, it's a study of the book of John through the Feast of Israel. So that's the direction we're going. And I hope you'll come back each Sunday night and uh, enjoy the study. We'll give you notes. We'll give you uh, picture things and things like that. You can put up a little notebook if you want. And so when we're through it, you'll understand all this a little better.